Good morning, church. I want to welcome you this morning as you're watching the service online. Thank you so much for taking the time, joining with us as we open God's Word. And we're going to be back into the book of Matthew. And what we've been talking about in Matthew, especially in this section, sections 10 through 12, what we've been talking about is how um, people respond different to, Ma- uh, to, to Jesus. They respond different to Matthew too, but we're really talking about Jesus. How, the, how people respond differently to Jesus. And uh, in, in these chapters, we're seeing that some people accept Jesus, some people are wary, some people are amazed, and some people uh, flat out reject him and, and, uh, and have opposition to Jesus. And last week, we saw how Jesus had uh, maybe one of the first of many run-ins that we're going to see that he has with the Pharisees. The Pharisees are the, the religious elite in this day. They, they had a lot of political and they had a lot of religious sway in their uh, neighborhoods and in their context and in their spheres of influence. The other thing that they had was, is they had, a lot of them had just this tremendous amount of self-righteous pride. You see, the Pharisees had added rules upon rules upon top of God's rules, and they were saying that in order to be pleasing to God, you had to follow everything that they said you had to do. And so Jesus uh, strips that away. It talks about that last week, about uh, how they were interacting with the Sabbath, but, but they had this pride that was in them. And that's what we'll be talking about today. We're going to see another interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees. And what we're going to see about pride, and it's a dangerous thing. We think about pride often in, in, in our culture, but, but we don't really maybe understand or maybe we don't give enough, uh, enough weight to the fact of just how dangerous pride really is. And the big idea today is this, pride hardens the heart and rots the soul. Pride hardens the heart and rots the soul. Let me ask you this. Have you ever had to work on a project with anybody who is prideful? Maybe it's on a sports team. Maybe it's a class project. Maybe it was a construction job. Maybe I don't know what, maybe any kind of project that you work. You ever had to work alongside someone who's prideful? Let me ask you another question. Have you ever had to work for someone who's prideful? It's a nightmare to work with people who are prideful. And we're not talking about someone who is confident, right? Because a person who is confident is still sober-minded. A person who is confident trusts their training and their abilities and what they're capable of, but they remain flexible and they remain open to new ideas and new information. And they also will yield to sound advice. A confident person is not a prideful person. Nor are we talking about someone who is, uh, takes pride in their work. I think that's a really bad mis- misnomer because, because so- someone who takes pride in the work, someone who's taking responsibility, someone who's saying, My, uh, I- I'm going to put everything I have into this. I'm going I'm to put forth strong effort into these things. Well, those are good things as well, too. We're not talking about that. When we're talking about people who are prideful, we're talking about people who are arrogant, stiff-necked. People who refuse correction, they refuse to acknowledge anyone or anything. And pride will harden your heart and it will rot your soul. Pride has destroyed countless relationships and marriages and families and churches and organizations and communities and even countries have been destroyed because of pride. 
But today we're going to see the sinful effects of a prideful heart. And how will they, and I, what I think is really interesting is what we're going to see today is how are the Pharisees, uh, how are they going to react to one of the most amazing things they may ever witness in their entire life? And so that's where we're going to be today. We're going to be talking and we're going to be out of Matthew chapter 12 and we're going to be starting in verse 9 today. So if you have a Bible, you can open it up. Uh, the words are also going to be on the screen, but let's, let's begin. And it starts with this. It starts with the Pharisees asking a loaded question. This is right after last week, verse 8, as they talked about the Sabbath. Now we pick it up in verse 9. He went on from there and entered their synagogue, he being Jesus. And a man was there with a withered hand, and they asked him, Is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? This is right after the discussion with the Pharisees about is it lawful to pick grain on the Sabbath, to actually eat a snack on the Sabbath. And, and Jesus said, not only is it okay that they do this, I am the Lord of the Sabbath and something greater than the temple is here, right? We talked about that last week. And, and now Jesus and his disciples go on from the grain field and into, into town and into their synagogue. And a synagogue is kind of like a local church, okay? They would gather regularly uh, for the reading of the scriptures and they would worship together. And so they're in this synagogue. And there's a man in the crowd, in the group of people who, who's part of the synagogue. He, he has a withered hand. Now, we don't know exactly what caused the withered hand. We don't know if it was an accident. We don't know if he was born with it. We don't know if it was some kind of degenerative disease. We don't know exactly why this happened or why this man had a withered hand. But we do know some things like this, that it would be very, very difficult for a man with a withered hand to be living life. It'd be hard because they don't have handicap accessible things. Uh, it'd be very difficult for him to make a living. Um, there'd be very, there'd be very few jobs, if any, that would be available to him to be able to work, to be able maybe to provide for his family or, or, or even provide for himself and so that he could eat. And so he would be, have to be uh, either supplemented or fully supported by the community, by the synagogue, by the people around him, maybe by his family members, right? And so, so here's this man with a withered hand. And, and some people would even say, uh, you know, we see this regularly through the scriptures, people asking this question, someone who, who has this unfortunate thing, they would, say, they would say, well, is it because God cursed him? Is it because of his sin or his parents' sin that, it, that caused these things? Because so often people go, oh, you got a withered hand, God must not care for you and must not like you. And that's not true. That's not true, but what so many people believed back then is that if something unfortunate happened to you, it had to have been because God was cursing you. And so here he is, he's a man in the synagogue, and he just wants to come and worship, and he wants to hear the word of God being read, and he wants to be encouraged by his friends and his families. And, and the Pharisees take him out and kind of put him front and center, and they put him right in front of Jesus and go, hey, you know, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? This man has been embarrassed enough because he's got a hand that doesn't look like everybody else's hand. And he probably has to rely on the goodwill and the generosity of other people. And yet the Pharisees just kind of grab him, put him front and center, 
Not as a person to have compassion on, but as an object to have some argument about. How humiliating this had to have been for this guy. What did he do to deserve this? The answer is nothing. He was just a pawn in this Pharisee's game to see if they can trick Jesus. And so they're okay humiliating a man with a withered hand to try to trick Jesus. And they ask him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath? Interestingly enough, they believe that Jesus can heal. Jesus has been healing people. But to the Pharisees in this context, in this, in this conversation, the Pharisees are saying healing is not something miraculous and beautiful and wonderful and that we pray for this man's healing. They're like, nope, healing is work. Let's see if Jesus works because if Jesus works, then we can catch him. Then we got him. Then we got him. Never mind the fact that this man's probably been praying for a miracle for as long as he's had this hand. And so they ask this loaded question. And what you're going to see often with the Pharisees throughout the book of Matthew is that the Pharisees try to trick Jesus by asking all these loaded questions. And what we see time and time again is that Jesus has a masterful response. A masterful response. It's amazing how Jesus, it's almost like he's smarter than all of them because he's God in the flesh. It's amazing how that works. And he has this masterful response every single time, including this one. Verses 11 through 13. He said to them, which one of you who has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Of how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Then he said to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched out, stretched it out, and it was restored, healthy like the other. It's a beautiful moment. Amazing, masterful response. Jesus immediately points out their hypocrisy. Right? They're like, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath, Jesus? And Jesus looks at him and goes, So let me ask you a question. If you have a sheep and it falls into a pit and it's on the Sabbath, are you going to reach in and pull it out? If one of your livestock is stuck and it happens to be the Sabbath, the day of rest, are you you going to reach in and grab the sheep out? Or are you going to leave it to the next day? The reality is it's obvious. They're going to reach in and grab the the sheep out because if a poor sheep falls into a pit, it's going to be on the ground. It's going to be in this place. It's going to be panicking. It might be injured, right? You know, and and if if a Pharisee has has their livestock and and a sheep falls in, they're going to be, well, I guess it's just going to have to wait till Sunday while it's begging for mercy and freaking out and kicking and screaming. And maybe it's on its back and sheep, when they get on their back, they can't roll over and get on their feet. They need help, otherwise they could die. Jesus said, of course you would have compassion on something that belongs to you, right? Of course you would have 
compassion on an animal that falls into, falls into the hole because it's not really work. You're not trying to be greedy. You're not, trying to, you're not trying to disregard the Lord's provision in that moment. You see one of these poor creatures who's stuck, and you're going to go help him. And then Jesus says, how much more valuable is this man? Because they would jump in and save a sheep on Sabbath without a second thought, but they would leave this man stuck in his predicament without hesitation and go, you know what, there's six days to heal him. He could wait another day. Jesus presses on these religious leaders. These are the people that were supposed to be leading people and pointing them to God. And, 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 and he's like, he just starts to press on them. He's like, first off, you're a hypocrite. Because you'll go help a sheep, but you won't help this man. He also goes into their synagogue, it says. I love that in verse 9. He went into their synagogue. He went onto their home turf. He went in the, he would be like, you're supposed to be the leaders of this place, right? And you're not going to help this guy, even though you would help a sheep on the Sabbath? And then Jesus says something really cool. He declares it, it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. The Sabbath is about resting in the Lord. And it's about God's goodness and God's rightness. And it's about worshiping him. And to do good on the Sabbath is to act in the character of God. And so he says, it's lawful to do good on the Sabbath. You can do something good on the Sabbath. You're not breaking the Sabbath by doing something good. And then he looks at the man who's been right in the middle of all of this. And he says, stretch out your hand. So the man does. And what once was withered is now restored. Just like the other hand. What a moment that had to have been. What an amazing thing to think about. Like he, he, he had this moment, he had a withered hand and who knows how long he's had it, but, but they, they pull him up and they're embarrassing him. And, and Jesus says, listen, just stretch out your hand. And Jesus heals him. He heals him and he heals him on the Sabbath, which means the father heard the prayer of the Sabbath, right? Because Pharisees would say, you can't do anything. God wouldn't allow anything to happen on the Sabbath if he wasn't pleased with that person. Can you picture that moment, how joyful it had to have been? Maybe the man was married with kids and he had injured his hand, which then became withered. And, he, and his kids were being made fun of in school and, and he had to get laid off from his job and he couldn't, he couldn't work anymore. Maybe he was a mason. Maybe he was a fisherman. I don't know. But, but maybe there was something where it required both hands and he couldn't do it anymore. And then his hands, he stretches out his hand and it's just like new and his wife and children are there. Maybe he's not married. Maybe he was born with this hand that was withered and his parents were there and they've been worried sick about how they're going to how he's going to be taken care of once they're dead and gone and all of a sudden they see his hand and they know he's going to be okay maybe he doesn't have any family around and the church has been taking care of him the synagogue has been taking care of him and they've been praying for his healing and they see it in that moment 
This most likely was the greatest thing that had ever been done in that particular synagogue ever. This is the story that these people would be telling their grandchildren's grandchildren about the day that Jesus showed up and healed that man. This is going to be a testimony for that synagogue for years to come. And what do the Pharisees do in this moment? After witnessing something miraculous, would they be amazed? Would they be embarrassed by how they treated this man? Would they be repentant? Would they be cut to the heart? Unfortunately, no. These men were so prideful that in the next verse, in verse 14, we see what really happens to them. And it is a tragic reality. Verse 14. But the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. When I share my faith with other people, when I start talking about that I'm a follower of Jesus and that I follow Jesus and that Jesus has adopted me into his family. And, and when I talk to people who, who don't know Jesus yet, and I'm, I'm sharing with them my faith, uh, a common response that comes up often is usually something like this. Well, if I saw a miracle, then I would believe Jesus. If I just saw something miraculous, then you know what? Then I'd believe him. And I disagree. I disagree. Because even if you see something miraculous, it all depends on the condition of your heart. And the Pharisees just witnessed a man being healed. And the response of the Pharisees were, we need to destroy this man. We need to make a plan of how we are going to destroy Jesus. Mind you, this is God in the flesh. When they would read the scrolls of Isaiah and they would read the, the promises to Abraham and all the stuff in the Old Testament that they would see was all pointing to the man who was standing in their synagogue, Jesus, fully God, fully man, in their presence, and when God showed up in their presence, they wanted to destroy him. It is tragic. But also, this is just downright scary. This is what lurks in the human heart when pride and arrogance get a hold of it. And the Pharisees, by the way, they're not going to stop. This is, this is one of many interactions that Jesus will have with the Pharisees. 
And by Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection, by that time, some of the Pharisees, some people who were part of the Pharisees, will eventually repent. Some will humble themselves. Some will put their faith in Jesus. But most won't. Their pride won't let them. They had just witnessed the miraculous of a man who was a part of their synagogue. And their response is, we need to destroy the one by which the miracle came. Why? Why? Because it's the effects of pride. And pride hardens the heart and rots the soul. Often when we read the Bible, what we like to do as human beings, we like to read ourselves into the story. Right? We were like, if I was there, or if I was present, or maybe as you're doing this, and, and we, we will do that. And, but most often when we do that, we love to read ourselves into the place of the hero. Right? Like, um, we might not say we're Jesus, but in this moment, as we've been reading the scripture, maybe you're thinking about, like, man, I've worked again, I've, I've worked with prideful people before, and I've seen how people get, and, and, and maybe you're like, maybe I've had to even combat or stand up against prideful people. So you put your spot, yourself in the spot of Jesus. Or maybe you're putting yourself in the spot of the disciples who are there kind of watching this interaction unfold, or the people in the synagogue watching this unfold. And while we can learn a great deal from that, I wonder if you've ever put your spot, yourself in the spot of the Pharisees to say, you know what, I've been arrogant. I've been prideful. And let this scripture today serve as a warning. Because pride is hard to detect. It's self-deceiving. Like, have you ever tried to tell someone who's prideful that they're prideful? You know what their response is? No, I'm not. I'm not prideful. I'm not prideful. Anybody ever tell you that you're prideful? Or tell me that, you know, I'm not prideful. So how do, we, how do we combat against pride getting into our hearts and getting into this place where it makes our hearts hard and it rots our souls? How do we, how do we, um, how do we help uh, ourselves? How do, we, how do we get out of this, right? How do, we, how do we avoid being prideful? And there's two ways today that I want to talk to you about how you can combat pridefulness in your heart. Number one is to ask the Holy Spirit to point out any way that you've been prideful or the way that you are prideful. So ask God to show that to you. And number two, stay close to Jesus. Asking the Spirit to reveal any pride. In Psalm 139, verses 23 through 24, it says this. Search me, O God, and know my heart. Try me and know my thoughts. 
and see if there be any grievous way in me and lead me in the way everlasting. It's like asking someone if you have anything in your teeth, right? Something that you can't see. So you have to get a reference point. Do I have anything in my teeth, right? Right? Do I, do, is it, does this, this look okay? Do I, you know, is there anything that you see? To ask God saying, you know what, God, is there anything in my heart? Is there anything in my mind that you see that's grievous to you? Is there any, search me. And if there's anything that you find that grieves you, that's prideful, God, point it out to me and then lead me in the ways of everlasting. Lead me, lead me out of it and lead me towards you. If you pray this scripture and you ask God to search you, know that and be ready that he will answer that prayer. He will answer that prayer and he will show you. And when he reveals it, don't argue with him. Confess it. Say, you know what, Lord, you're right. Repent, turn away from it. And lean into God's mercy. The cross of Christ paid for our sins. And so we can lean in. We can lean into God's mercy knowing that we are forgiven of even this. Don't run from God, run to God. And then it's about staying close to Jesus. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. That when we put our trust in Jesus, when we want Jesus to be our king, when we, when we become his disciples, when we submit our lives to him, he gives us his Holy Spirit, which dwells within every person who submits their life to Christ. And the Spirit lives within us, and the Spirit's job is to convict us of sin, to point things out, to comfort us, to remind us of what Jesus said, and to give us the power to walk with him. So pay attention. Pay attention. And the opposite of pride is humility. And humility is a byproduct of staying close to Jesus. You see, humility can't be manufactured in your life. You can't, it's not a formula. But it will be produced in your life as you stay close to Jesus. So we read his word, we have his spirit, and we have each other, his people, to remind us to keep walking with Jesus. If we're going to combat pride in our lives, it's about asking God to show where we have been prideful and then to remain close to him. Stay close to Jesus and let that humility be produced in your life. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I thank you so much for today. I thank you, God, that the, the road with Jesus, although narrow, is the road that leads to humility, the road that leads to joy, and the road that leads to life abundant. God, let us shed anything in our lives that is prideful. God, I pray that you would root it out of our lives and that we would be a, a humble people who are joyfully following you. Please transform our minds and shape our hearts to be more like Christ. In Jesus' name.
Amen.